0: You're listening to the Weekly Sermon Podcast from Ridgecrest Baptist Church in Springfield, Missouri. To connect with us or learn more, visit us online at ridgecrestbaptist.org. And so what I want us to do is we open up to First Peter chapter 1 right now. And If you'll stand with me as we stand on the solid rock of God's Word. I want you to realize as we begin today, we're talking about being born again. But the series is about God's people gathered. And so before we can talk about gathering together as God's people, we need to ask the question, how do we become one of God's people? And we are a part of God's people when we, by faith, receive the grace of God by trusting in the cross, and we're going to see that. Now, verse 3 is where we're going to start on this screen, but if you have your copy of Scripture, and by the way, this is why we bring our Bibles, because it's not always off the wall, okay? So verse 2, I want you to see something interesting here because when I was putting this series together, the question I had was, is, is there a, an extended uh, passage of Scripture that deals with church membership? Well, there isn't exactly something like that. But if I were to say, is there one place where, where a, an author of Scripture talks at great length about why we gather, it's this first letter of Peter uh, to the church, it really is, I think, telling us what it means to be a part—not only saved by grace, but a part of the body of Christ. And let me show you the, the the clue to this, kind of the key that unlocks the rest of our series, is actually in verse two. Not what we're preaching, but he says this: According to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood now you'll notice for sprinkling with his blood that's a clear reference to the cross and we're going to see how that connects with being born again but it's sort of out of order because if you'll notice before he talks about what saves us the blood of Jesus sprinkled on us he mentions this phrase in the sanctification of the spirit That's what happens when we have received Christ. That's growing in grace. And so to me, what Peter is saying here is you need to be saved by the blood of Jesus. But he's also telling us that there is a process known as sanctification. And what we'll be doing today and in the weeks to come, we're asking the question, what is the best vehicle, avenue for us If we're going to talk about, if we're going to talk about what it means to really experience the fullness of Christ, I think we're going to see it can only occur when we gather together, when we are members of the body of Christ. Let's talk first, though, about being born again. Look at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. He has caused us, look at that, Things into which angels long to look. Let's pray. Lord, we take for granted these moments to be in your word. These words reveal truth that angels long to understand. And so, God, you have given us this treasure of your word. And may our lives be enriched by it today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Born again to a living hope. Several years ago, my father-in-law was the recipient of a heart transplant. Now, I'm not talking about, uh, you know, a bypass. I'm talking about a brand new heart in his chest. Major, major surgery. Uh, ten years ago, I think it was a little more than, uh, I think it's a little over ten years ago now, the technology has, has gotten so much better. Even since then, it was very touch and go. But it was an incredible experience. It really did give a man a new life. His heart was failing. And I have to tell you, as being a part of that, that experience and that journey, the family was overjoyed in the knowledge that our loved one had a chance to live. But back in the back of our minds, we all knew that someone else was having to grieve a loss so that my father-in-law would have a new lease on life. That's how it works with a donor. And so we received that gift. I remember the phone call. I remember how awesome it was. And I remember having these conversations with my mother-in-law and how happy she was and yet how sad. I think if we think about grace today, we think about what it means to be given a a second chance, I think we come to this passage and we can see a connection, an analogy here that works. We understand that our salvation in Christ, the new life, the fact that we can be born again, it did not come cheap. There was a sacrifice. There needed to be a donor of righteousness on the other side of the equation. We are here today, if we are professing Christians, we understand that our sinful nature is what nailed Jesus to the cross. He willingly bore our sins that we may be sprinkled with the blood of Christ and forgiven for our sins. Amen? I think every once in a while we need to be shook up by that message, that simple gospel message that people who were lost in sin have been saved by the grace of God. Peter speaks of the wonderful sacrifice of Jesus, the sprinkling of his blood in verse 2, and he says, May grace and peace be multiplied to you. And sometimes, church, it doesn't seem like that's happened, that we do not have a multiplication of praise as we ought. But what God has done for you is beautiful. He sprinkled you with his blood to save you, but he also has sanctified you by the Spirit. We were told there in verse 2. And I think what we need to do is pause for a moment and say, Okay, yes, I believe that I, if you're a believer here today, you would say, Yes, I believe that I've been saved by grace. I have grace and peace multiplied in me. Um, But my question for you is... Are you praising God for the gift of your salvation? How often are you saying a word of praise to Jesus for what he's done for you? And I would say that most of us as believers, a regular part of our prayer life is giving thanks. I've prayed with many of you, and I know that one of the things we often pray uh, when we pray is we, we do thank God for loving us and saving us. That's a normal part of the Christian experience. But let me ask this, what is the best way to praise God for the gift of eternal life? In other words, there are many ways that we can praise the Lord and give him thanks, But I believe that Peter is going to show us that the best vehicle for our praise is the church. The church gives us the context whereby born-again people who have experienced the greatest miracle in the universe, where your soul that was dead, dying in sin was transformed, reborn. You became a new creature in Christ. That is the greatest miracle in the world. I believe that that experience cannot be a momentary thing. It is something we have to think about, meditate on, and unpack the rest of our journey. And it's such a profound teaching and truth. That one mind isn't enough. You could spend the rest of your life reading everything there is about regeneration, about the new birth in Christ. But there's just something about living around other people who are born again that instructs us even better. We gather together to celebrate the beautiful gift of Christ. But we also gather knowing that when we come into this room, we are coming with some wounds we, we come here with some brokenness. It's inevitable. This passage, in fact, all of 1 Peter is going to be very real in that way. Peter is celebrating the salvation that he has in Jesus. He's going to tell us how we can be more sanctified in Jesus. But he never says that you are going to be free from suffering. He says many times that you will. But let me say this. Our eternal hope must be lived out in a world with sharp edges and harsh words. And since that is the truth, we need the church for healing. We need the word to fortify our hearts and give us that little bit of elbow room, a little bit of cushion for the journey. The church is meant to take believers who are going to have to go out this afternoon, tomorrow, the next day, and live their lives in a very difficult world. The church should be the place where people come back and are re, re, uh, get, get their energy back, um, revitalized, put back in order. Now, the sad reality is, is that many times people can, can tell you that they've come to church and instead of being reinvigorated they've been beat down or they've been discouraged and so a lot of people when they start hearing messages about being a part of the church they immediately begin having flashbacks to the church failing and I know that the church has failed because the church is filled with people But God's word is clear on the matter that we need each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. We need to be in community, a community of faith. And this series of sermons is just trying to unpack for you what that looks like in the world. What it looks like for you to live for Christ in this world. And let me say this, what you look like living for Christ in this world is not divorced from this group. We have to learn how to live together in Christ and to work together in Christ. That's what I think 1 Peter helps us do. We see at least five elements of church membership in this passage. And I I, I want you to know that I don't think that Peter, when he wrote this, was trying to give a manual for church membership. But those few words in verse 2 tell me that he is thinking about what it means to be saved. So we're gonna, we're, we're, today we're really going to focus on that. But then also what that looks like. What, what's like day two look like? After you've received Christ, you are newborn in Christ, that, the question is, what, what am I going to do with the rest of my life? And we want to help answer that question in light of the Scriptures, in light of the Spirit of God working through you. We believe that a big part of that equation happens In the church. So if you are born again, you belong in church. I want to make this clear you belong in church. And what I mean by that, I don't mean that you take up real estate on Sunday morning and maybe an occasional Wednesday night. I mean, you are a member of a church plugged in. You need that for a number of reasons, and we'll talk about some of them today. But I'll tell you right now I think that we need that for accountability. And I'm going to be arguing in the next few weeks, not with you, hopefully not with you, but I'm going to be arguing from the text that the miracle of salvation, as beautiful as it is, it is unpacked in the miracle of community. I am convinced that, that Jesus saving you was a pretty big deal. Amen? Okay. Yeah. Well, it is. Well, let me tell you something else that's a big deal people like us from different backgrounds, with different ideas, with with different passions in life, when God brings us together and we are operating together as the body of Christ, that's the miracle of community. So there's the miracle of conversion and then there is the miracle of community. I think most of you have been in church long enough that I don't have to convince you that it's a miracle that you were saved, but I do think that maybe we don't realize the miracle of, of community. The blessings that God can give us when we join together and serve together and give him our lives. What a beautiful hope we have in Jesus. And it all begins with being born again. Born again to a living hope is what we read about here in verse 3. Now after receiving Christ, we know the scriptures are telling us in many places, not just here, That we have received a new life. And this new life is new and eternal. Okay, so when we're talking about salvation, let's make it plain. The scriptures are always talking about a change from death to life. There is no going back and forth. When you have a genuine conversion, you go from spiritually dead to spiritually alive. Those are the images we see painted in the Gospels and in the New Testament, and that is the teachings of the Bible. We believe that here. But here's where it gets tricky, and this is why we have disagreements sometimes with other people who love Jesus and are part of different denominations. Um, There's this problem that though we are new and eternal, um, we're still living life at the same old address. And what I mean by that is, in this body of flesh. I'm not talking about your house address. I'm talking about the fact that the body that was once a slave to sin is is still um, sometimes drawn back to those old ways. We are new, and we have a new birth, and we have a new life in Christ, and we're going to live with him forever. But we have the same old address with the same old desires of the flesh. I kind of have in mind the image of a Christmas morning. Uh, a child uh, just in, in awe of all the presents bestowed upon him by his or her parents. I can't believe all these beautiful gifts. And I think about the gift of salvation and those moments when we're like, wow, look what God has given me. He has given me the hope of heaven. No matter what I face in this world, I know that his hand is around me. My heart and soul are secured in him. And we're like, man, that's awesome. So why do I keep lying to my parents? Why, why do I keep struggling with my attitude at work? You know, it's, it's that moment where we're like, man, thank you, Jesus. And then, Jesus, what were you thinking about calling me and giving me this gift? I think it's the tension that, that all thoughtful believers, I, I say thoughtful because if you're just not thinking about it, you just don't care anymore. You say, oh, I'm going to heaven and that's it. I just, I just don't think that's possible. When we've been given this gift and we understand it on any level, we begin to see inconsistencies. We realize that our hearts aren't quite right. Romans 7, you know, I know what I need to do, but I don't do it. Paul's not the only one with that problem, brothers and sisters. We have that problem. We know better. Some of us, like I was telling the church this morning in the first service, I've been in church nine months before I was born. I've been, I've been blessed with being around church and church people, but there have been so many times where I have not Lived up to the calling my heavenly Father has called me to. But I want you to know when we have received amazing grace, it is a blessing. Look at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's a beatitude. That's a blessing. I want you to realize here that Peter speaks that language because born-again people must bless the Lord. If you are a born-again person, it is not an option to praise the Lord. It is a requirement. It is in the indicative. We must do it. We must. It is a command of Christ, a command of the Scriptures. And the more we bless the Lord and the more we draw close to him, the more we are able to feel the living hope we have in Jesus. Praise. Let me tell you what I think praise does. Praise takes down the barriers. Now, you can't see them necessarily. But I think there's, because of our sin, there are these barriers. Can you imagine that with me? Like these walls between us and God. And I think the only way we're able to break through those walls is when we are praising the Lord together. When we are gathered together and blessing the Lord, those walls begin to crumble. And what we are able to do is connect with the heavenly worship. When you are dry and cold spiritually, what that means is you're not close to Jesus and you're far away from the heavenly song. But when we are together in worship and blessing the Lord, we get closer to Jesus and closer to that song. I'm going to tell you, there's some people in Baptist churches that need to get closer to Jesus. In fact, I'm convinced it ain't just a Baptist problem. It's an evangelical problem. It's a Christian problem. We are not as close as we ought to be. But here in the scriptures, we see that we have been born again. So we have this new living hope. And this is not a new uh, phraseology. Jesus, when he spoke to Nicodemus, what did he say? You must be born again. Paul in Romans 6 writes to us about the newness of life that we have in Christ. Jesus, Paul, now here in uh, the, the letter of Peter, the first letter of Peter, we see the same teaching that we are born again to this great mercy, born again to a living hope in this world of death. Listen to me. Whatever you're going through, no matter how difficult the situation or dark the situation is, your hope is a living one. God is alive. He is on the march You may be stuck. You may be in a proverbial rut. But I want you to know that God is on the march. He is living. He is able. And when we bless the Lord, we tap into that power. It's a living hope. A real power. I am a child of the 80s and 90s. Nintendo was a big thing when I was a kid. How many of you had one of those Nintendo gaming systems. How many of you have played Super Mario Brothers? Wow, okay. I just read a book a couple months ago about about Nintendo. Um, Just, you know, several billion dollars wrapped up in that little Mario guy. But here's the deal. Do you guys remember the Super Mario Brothers? And basically one of the, the, the features of the game is you start out and you're the little guy, but then you power up and you're the big guy. And you power up one more time and you're, you're like shooting uh, flamethrowers. You know, that's where I'm aiming to be a preacher so I can throw flame, you know, balls of fire at you. You know, that, I guess that's full profit mode if I can do that. Um, but, but nonetheless, let me just say this. When we talk about the newness we have in life... Uh, in Christ, newness of life we have in Christ, that we've been born again, I want you to understand the power that God has given you is not standard issue. It is resurrection power. Know this, the power you have in you raised the Son of God from a tomb. He'd been there three days. It gave him new life. And I'm going to tell you, that same power is in you to overcome your sins. That is power. We're not talking about standard issue. We're talking about living power, and I believe we need more. We need to be more alive, brothers and sisters. I I think it's kind of funny. I mean, alive is alive, but we all know, if you've been in a hospital room, there's like alive, and then there's like still alive, but very, very sick. And I think that many of us spiritually are in the bed at the hospital, and we are alive in Christ, but we are dry, we are dispassionate, and we are distant from God. And the reason why is because we are human, and we live in a fallen world, and we've made mistakes, but I want you to remember this, above all, you have a living hope. If you are in a dark place right now, brother or sister, you can't win this battle alone, but we can win it together. We have a living hope together, and that's why we need the church. We need to realize that this born-again reality is not something that just is ours to deal with individually. It must be ours to deal with and encourage and spurn forward together. But to understand this, we need to understand what inheritance we've been given From our Heavenly Father. Let's talk about an inheritance imperishable. Verse 4 begins with the talk of an inheritance. Notice what it says: to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. This is a really good teachable moment because this is an example of words that meant one thing then and means something a little different now. Not major different, but enough to make a, a, a serious disconnect here with what Peter's actually teaching. So an inheritance today, when I think of that, I'm thinking of something that I receive when someone passes away. In other words, the inheritance, we can talk about our inheritance. Sometimes our, our parents will joke with this, you know, if we don't uh, you know, do something right, well, there goes the inheritance, whatever. But we're, we're, we're acknowledging that that's something that we don't have yet. But in the Hebrew mind and in the Greco-Roman mind, it was a different thing. In fact, in those cultures, an inheritance was not something that was going to come. It was already yours. The best example of this, go back and read the book of Deuteronomy. You know, short little book in the Old Testament. Um, but read that book and you'll see God reminding his people that they have the inheritance of the promised land. And he's not talking about something that's theirs in the future. If you read the language and look at the grammar, he's saying, that's yours now. You don't have to wander around for 40 years. I think it's uh, 40 years, 11 months. I was looking at it this week. What in the world? That was two weeks walk. And it took them 40 years and 11 months Because they didn't understand that the promise was theirs. And I think that many of us today, how many years have you been wandering around and not experiencing the inheritance that God has given you? It is time for you to realize when God saved you and gave you the gifts he did, it's time to get to work now. You have inherited this. It is yours. So here's the deal. A promise from God is something that you hold in your heart even when you have yet to hold it in your hand. Who God is and what God has done in your life, it's in your heart. Salvation, your calling, your giftings, they aren't something down the road necessarily. They are in you now. And it is only in the context of community that that which is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, begins to work through you. It is such a beautiful thing because it cannot be corrupted. If you inherit a new car, guess what? The engine will break down eventually. If you inherit a new house, guess what? Eventually the roof is going to leak. The fact of the matter is, though, that the inheritance you have in Christ is unfading. You have something you can bank on. And know this, ultimately, your gift from God is heaven forever. You, though, have to go through some dangerous territory Brothers and sisters, before you get there, look at verse six. A common theme in 1 Peter in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. In fact, he will say again and again, Peter, well, throughout this letter, not if you suffer, but when you suffer. Friends, we have to get ready for, again, the sharp edges, the roughness of a fallen world. And we're going to face that one way or the other. We either face it by ourselves or we face it together. Until, as the scripture says, the last time when we finally get before Jesus, until that moment, we need to be together in community so that we can take the inheritance that we've been given and make the most of us. What a terrible thing to think about that God has given you a tremendous inheritance that you, like the prodigal, are squandering you have this wonderful gift set that God could be using and your business or, or your, your school is getting your best. Years ago, it occurred to me, I was spending a whole lot more time in my academic work working for A's than I was in my spiritual life to get to know God. And I wonder how many of us, when we look at the breakdown of our time and energies, are we giving to God what we're giving to those selfish pursuits? And I'll tell you, oh, a degree, oh, you know, making money, all that's fine. But it ain't nothing if Jesus isn't empowering it. And I want you to know that God is going to use some of you to be great uh, in your writing and thinking. Some of you are going to be great in your changing the world with your business and the work that you do. All that's fantastic. But make sure you're moving in the direction of the kingdom. It's only the church that can keep that active work moving. But the flames are hot. The fire is real. Look at verse 7. The tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, today with coins, um, you know, coins are pretty much worthless. They're really not made out of valuable metals. But in the ancient world, every single coin was only as valuable as its silver or gold content. A lesser coin from a lesser mint would, would be found out very quickly. And here's how. Those coins would be melted down and the impurities would be measured. Let me say this. The trials you're going through, the heat you've experienced isn't any fun But it's the only way that the dross is separated from the precious metal. And I want you to know that if you have faith in Christ, even the most daunting challenges in your life are going to help you recover some. uh, Find out who you are. Getting rid of that which is not of any value. The church today, every single one of you are precious in God's sight. You have something in you that is valuable, not only for yourself, but for the kingdom. And the fires of life that come to you will show you what needs to go away so that you can grab hold of that which is imperishable. Your inheritance is great and beautiful. And how can we find it apart from being together? We are gathered together around the word. That's how we are going to not only um, discover who we are as baptized, believing, born-again people. Um, we not only find out the, the, the facts of our salvation, but it is in the word that we find the calling of our lives. The salvation of our souls um, is a beautiful outcome of our faith, yes, but it is the word that shows us this. And this is beautiful. Look at verses 9 and following, 9 through 12, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Now, notice this, verse 10, 11, and 12 start dealing with the transmission of the text. Now, I'm not talking about, you know, manual or automatic, but the transmission of the text is the Bible tells us how we receive the word. And here we see that it's through the prophets and then we know also through the apostles. And and what we begin to realize is, is that the word of God is a gift to the church. Now you were saved, you have the gift of salvation, but you've also been given the gift of the word and it's the gift of the word that helps you grow in sanctification. The word will show us that we are sinners, that we are fallen and we need to be saved. But it doesn't stop there. It also tells us how we grow. And the Old Testament prophets, they saw something coming. They saw Jesus coming. They just didn't see it clearly. Look at verses 10 and 11. Verse 11 in particular. They, they didn't quite have Christ in focus. And here's what basically Peter is saying in verse 11. We now have Jesus in our sights. when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glory. What he says is they couldn't see what you see now. So let me say this, the gospel is deliverance. You have seen that Jesus has saved you. The Holy Spirit opens our minds and our hearts to the truth of the gospel. The Holy Spirit leads you to faith in Jesus. The Holy Spirit leads us to gather as a church around the word of God that we might grow in grace. I want you to look at verse nine and grab that word obtaining. Now, it says this obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Now, I want you to realize that we do not believe that we can save ourselves. We believe that we are only saved by the grace of Jesus Christ, but the outcome of your faith, if you are saved and it's a work of God, what is it that we're supposed to grab a hold of? What we're supposed to grab a hold of is the teachings of the scripture so that it changes our hearts, that we can be conformed to God and then serve him as he's called us to. We need to not work to save our souls but once Christ has saved our souls we need to get to work we need to obtain look at that word it means to carry off for oneself it means to take responsibility To pick up the burden that God has given you and to do it with all your heart, mind, strength, and soul. And I want you to know that even when we have an idea of what we're called to do for Jesus, we need it to be clarified and confirmed by other people. And it's the church that serves as the other people. We are gathered together. Why? Because as God speaks, we need to hear that voice in community. And something will land over here and something will land over there. And by God's grace, what landed over here and what lands over there will come together. And iron will sharpen iron. God does that. And if you're not in the context of community, then you'll miss that moment. You'll not grow as strong as you could. Look at verse 12. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you. That's what the prophets realized, that they were giving something away that didn't benefit them. Think about it. The prophets for years prophesied about something they wouldn't see in their own lifetimes. And even Peter, he says basically, you love Christ and you never met him. The majority of the people in the world that love Jesus were either born before him or have been born after him. And we're in the latter category. And what's amazing is how many people throughout the years were in love with Jesus and never met him. Peter says that's the miracle of faith. Not only the miracle of salvation, but that many of you in this room, if pressed, you would say you have a personal relationship with Jesus whom you've never personally met. But I would argue you have met him. He has showed up when you needed him most. You have felt his presence in the darkness. You have felt his presence in the light. He is real, amen? He is a living God. He is not dead. He is the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob because they are alive and so will you be forever and ever if you believe in Jesus, his death, burial and resurrection. We have a living hope brothers and sisters and it's in the church that we learn this. It's unpacked for us and the Holy Spirit speaks through his word. Those who are saved need to be sustained by the word. The word can save us but it also sustains us. I've shared with several folks the last couple of years. I, I think I said it first at a, at a Missouri Baptist Convention meeting, and it's not original to me. But you know, the job of a, of a pastor, uh, the senior pastor in particular, the preaching pastor, my job is not to give you a five-course feast every Sunday. Uh, in fact, I think if, it, if that's a problem. sometimes when, when the preacher is doing that too much, it can be like making you sick, like rich food can. My job is just to keep you alive. Like, you know, um, getting, keeping the refrigerator stocked with good, healthy milk and meat so that you can grow into who you're called to be as a believer. The shepherds of this church, not just your pastors, not just your elders. I'm gonna tell you, I had a conversation out here in between services with someone who said, we are blessed uh, because we're being fed, in in worship and we're being fed in small groups. Let me tell you what's going on at Ridgecrest, another reason for God's people to gather and you to join us. It's one thing to teach a lesson or to preach a sermon. It's another thing when the word comes alive. And I'll tell you the difference. The difference is, is when people are talking to me and telling me about things that God is saying to them through their personal Bible study, saying to them through the songs we sing, saying to them, God is saying to them through the sermon, through the small group moments. God is speaking. And that's why we come to church, because when the spirit begins to work, he likes to work in a group context and he works in the church. We can't grow in holiness alone. We need Jesus and we need one another. That's a fact that we're going to see even more clearly expressed in the latter half of chapter 1 and in chapter 2 and in chapter 3. We're going to see how the community helps us as born-again believers be sanctified in the Spirit. So as we wrap this whole thing up, let me just challenge you with this. If you've been saved, amen. If you're here and visiting because of the holiday weekend, let me say this. If you are a part of a church, amen. When you go back home, wherever home is, and you're not a member of a church, find one. You ain't going to find a perfect one, but find one. And plug in because that's how we grow in grace. But if you're here and you've been a part of Ridgecrest for a long time. And you say, I realize that I need to grow closer to Jesus. Then we want you to gather with us. Be a member of Ridgecrest. Because born again people, when they gather together in the power of the Holy Spirit. They have their callings clarified. They have their life laid out before them. And God will give you what you need here. I believe that with all my heart. If you are a born-again believer, amen. If not, receive Jesus this morning. If you have received Jesus and a born-again believer and haven't been baptized, then the next step is be baptized. But if you've got all that going for you, but you're not a member of a church, then either by letter or by statement, you need to join a church. Christianity is not a lone ranger endeavor. We need to be together. Born-again people belong together. And I believe some of you may just belong here with us. Let's pray. Thanks for listening. For additional resources, to learn more about us, or get connected, visit RidgecrestBaptist.org.